Hi, everybody. This is Jeannie Faulkner, and you are listening to Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting, the podcast, where we have smart conversations about pregnancy, parenting, politics, healthcare, feminism, and everything. We've talked about a lot of topics on this podcast, but there are quite a few we haven't fully discussed yet. So today, we're going to talk about a whole lot of things and all in one family. Before we get our guest today on the line today, though, I want to send a shout out to midwife Jenny Joseph in Florida. We interviewed her for episode 81 back in July about her um, approach to providing high quality maternal health care to women who don't necessarily have insurance or a way to afford their care. Florida, where Jenny's birth community is, was deeply impacted by Hurricane Irma, as I know you know, last week. And um, Jenny stayed put to deliver all the hurricane babies that decided to come during the biggest storm in recorded history. She also put out a really excellent two-minute YouTube video about what to do if you're in labor during a hurricane. She tells you exactly what to do, even if you have to deliver your own baby. She is empowering and reassuring, and it's great. Watch it. You never know, right? Hey, Jenny, you're awesome. Now, if you guys want to help Jenny help moms in the affected area, donate to Jenny's organization at baby at commonsensechildbirth.org. Yeah, I know. Common Sense Pregnancy, Common Sense Childbirth, we're totally different organizations. We just both, you know, come at this topic leading with common sense, right? So um, I want to get right to our guest today because we're going to talk about all kinds of touchy subjects, specifically about infertility and adoption and raising special needs children. As I mentioned, today's guest has knee-deep experience in all three. Heather Avis is the author of the newly released book, The Lucky Few, and she's ready to tell us about it. So let's get Heather on the line. Hello. Hi, Heather. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am doing okay, except for that I'm in, you know, fire breathing Portland right now. You're in Monrovia near Pasadena? That's correct. Yes. Yeah. There is a really great bookstore out there. I can't remember the name of it, but I'd know it if I heard it. Is it Gorman's? Is that Gorman's? Is that yeah, it? I think it might be. Gromans? Something like that. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> you don't know. All you do is hang out in the children's section. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, um, Heather, let me read a little clip of your About You page, and then let's sure. get talking. So, yeah. So Heather Avis is the mother of three adopted children, two with Down syndrome. She's learned that it's the lucky few that recognize God's plans are best, even when they seem radically different than our own. Your life may be uncomfortable, messy, and nothing you would have planned, but you too can be among the lucky few. And I think I mentioned this before. I love that. I love that little about me. That's great. Thank you. Thanks so much. Yeah. So now let me ask you. Who are you and what do you do? Yes, so I am Heather and I am first a wife and a mother. I have three children who are nine, six, and three. And um, I am a writer and an author. My first book came out this year. So I do some writing for um, blogs and magazines 
and I've been promoting my book and then I'm working on a second book currently. Let's talk about the first book just a little bit. Tell me what it is. Yes. The title of the first book is The Lucky Few. Um, and it's a memoir. It's our story, my story from wanting to be a parent to becoming a parent. And for us, it was a very bumpy road. It looked nothing like we thought it would look like. And it included infertility and adoption and children with Down syndrome and heart defects and surgeries and birth families and just this wild ride that I never thought I'd be on. So it's the whole story of how I came to have the children who I have. And you're married to Josh, right? Tell me a little bit about him. Yes, Josh is wonderful. We've been married for 15 years and he is a graphic designer. Um, He works for a church currently as the head of marketing and um, oversees a team there. He is a very incredible hands-on father. We definitely have a partnership in the way that we parent and he is a wonderful husband. I got a really good guy. Thank God he's hands-on, right? Three kids yes. is a lot. Kids is a lot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. I'm, I'm really lucky to have a hands-on dad, too, in my life. We've got four and sometimes five kids that we've raised. And, you know, I, I have so much respect for women and men who do it alone. But, oh, thank God for partnership, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm yeah. so thankful. And that we're just both on the same page. And he, he is technically working full-time. He, he leaves the house, goes to an office job. Um, and my job allows me to be home and is a lot more flexible, but we recognize that when kids have doctor's appointments or extracurricular or whatever it is that we both have to flex and give and make it work that we are raising our children together. Yeah. You're doing it in a model that's becoming increasingly common where, Mm -hmm. you know, there's one parent is the one who goes out in the world and does, you know, the more stable, um, you know, the job that gives you the benefits and the insurance, you know, Mm -hmm. and the stable Mm -hmm. check. And then the other parent is the one who is doing, you know, something else and wedging it around the kids' lives. It's it's a model that's working for a lot of families. Yeah, it's working great for us, for sure. So, Heather, are you there? I'm here, yes. Are you there? Okay, I am here. We're doing it again, but let's keep going. Okay. So you met your husband when you were in college and you got married pretty darn young, didn't you? Yes, I was, we were, we both had a year left of school. He's a little older than me and took a little bit longer to graduate, but, um, I was 20 and he was 23 when we got married. That is young. 20 is young. You know, as in, in the way that we look at, you know, traditional marriage these days, that's pretty young. I feel especially these days. I've got lots of friends who are... Do you feel like you guys are growing up together or have grown up together? I do feel that way, yes. I feel that... um, I think when you get married really young, you could easily grow apart as well. And that's kind of the risk because when you're 20, you just don't know who you are, but you think you do. Um, And so we... I always say in my 20s, I knew everything. And then I hit 30 and I realized I know nothing. Um, and so my husband and I, we were so blessed and lucky to get to grow together and with similar interests and towards similar goals. Uh, mm-hmm. and it's been really fun. It's fun that I've spent almost half my life with him. I, I really like that. Yeah. I'm, um, a lot older than you, but I met my <laughs> husband, um, and me, we married when I was 21. And so now we've been together for 
you know, just so many decades that we look back on it and we say, yep, we were too young, too darn young to do that. It really worked out well. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, Tell me what your life was like before you started on your parenthood journey. Um, Our life was pretty sweet. Like I said, we were really young and right after we graduated college, we went to Hawaii for six months. We didn't know how long we'd go. And it ended up being six months. We just bought one-way plane tickets, got part-time jobs. And it was lovely. And then realized that I wanted to be um, a teacher. And my husband wanted to start his business as a graphic designer. And so we needed to kind of get our heads out of the clouds. And um, we moved back to California. And I got my teaching credential in, in special education, a mild, moderate, and a moderate to severe. And my husband got a job as a graphic designer and then built his own clientele and I had summers off and we traveled a ton, um, just did, did our sweet little life together. So it was great. It was a really great season of just being married, the two of us. You had a good chunk of time, just the two of you. We did. Yeah. We had about four years before we decided to start a family and then actually seven years before we ended up having kids. So then you decided it was time to, you know, start your family. And mm-hmm. in the book, Lucky Few, it starts with your story of infertility. And it's, it's, a, pretty, it's a pretty horrendous story. You, you had a really rough ride. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't want to, you know, give away too much of what you <laughs> went through, but I'm wondering if you'd share just a little bit about it. Sure. I think like most people who are starting out to grow their family, there's this idea that you will try to get pregnant and then you will get pregnant. And nine months later, you will have a baby. And then a few years later, you can do it all over again. Um, yeah, that was, A plus B right? plus C. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And everything pointed to that plan working out in our lives. I hadn't had any kind of like physical trauma. We were healthy. Um, so yeah, we found ourselves in a healthy marriage, healthy humans. We exercised, we ate, right? We did all those things and started to try to have a family and get pregnant. And um, a few months turned into more months. And those months turned into years and we just found ourselves on this really tumultuous and brutal path of infertility, trying to figure out what was wrong, trying to fix it. Um, and then got to the end and realized there was nothing more we could do. There was nothing to be fixed. It was all very broken in terms of my body being able to carry a child naturally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we, we got as far as um, choosing between adoption or in, in vitro fertilization, and we never did pursue in vitro, in vitro fertilization. So you had that option? Yes. In vitro that, was, yeah. Yeah, IVF. Yeah. I had the option for IVF, um, but we didn't pursue it. You decided that adoption was the better path for you? Yes, we did. Yeah. But at the same time, your sister Harmony was having children. Right. So it was this, during the time we were trying to get pregnant, it felt as though everyone around us was having children. And to the point where people would joke about it, like, oh, don't drink the water, you'll get pregnant. And um, people always mean well, of course, but those little comments were just so hurtful for me because it just wasn't the case. So I felt very lonely and isolated. And then uh, my sister, I have two sisters, I'm very close to both of them. And my older sister, had already had a child and wanted to have a second. And we had had this idea of I'll get pregnant with my first and she'll get pregnant with her second. Um, and she was able to get pregnant and I wasn't. And 
it was just very a very strange place to be because I was so excited for her, so excited for my new niece or nephew, and then just devastated that she was going to be able to go through this yeah. pregnancy while I remained infertile. Yeah, real double-edged sword. Yeah. In my, li- in my life story, I'd be your sister. You yeah. Know, I got pregnant easy and often, and a couple of my <laughs> sisters, yeah, faced infertility issues. And um, both of them eventually did have um, daughters. and. Hmm. Yeah, it was it was great, but you know that it it's a it's a hard hard dynamic between mm-hmm. sisters. I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It's just a weird place to be, because it is that sitting in like the utter joy and the utter despair at the same time for the same reason. Um, it's yeah. just a tricky place to be. Yeah, and no matter you know how compassionate and evolved you are as a human being, those pesky human emotions like you know envy and and. Uh, you know, resentment, they, they have to creep in just around the edges a little bit. Oh yeah, definitely. Just, yeah. Yeah. It's the total package. I yeah. get it. I, I often would, well, not often, but you know, I would hesitate a little bit to share my news with my sisters mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I knew that, damn, you know, yeah, this isn't fair. This isn't fair. Yeah. Yeah. And when my sister called me and told me it was just like very soft, um, she was cr- started crying before I started crying it, just because she knew how, how hurtful and how painful it was going to be. So I'm really grateful, too, that she was sensitive to that. That helped a lot in the, in the journey. Yeah. Yeah. She knew. She yeah. knew what she was doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you shifted gears towards adoption, and you were going through the process of that. Tell me the story about how you and your husband became parents to Mason. Yeah. So we started off towards adoption and our goal was healthy infant. So however I would give birth naturally, let's try to get that same baby into our arms. Um, Paid a lot of money for a private agency and just headed down that road. And then, um, I mean, it's a very long story and it's all in the book, but if you, we were in, um, we had gone on a trip and I had sent an email to our social worker and just said, Hey, we're going to be out of town, out of the country. Um, we won't have a lot of cell reception. So if you're trying to get a hold of us and in my mind, I'm thinking to give us a baby, like you won't be able mm-hmm. to reach us possibly. And then she mm-hmm. emailed me back and I got the email after we'd been in, we had been in the country of Romania, um, for a week. And she just said, Hey, thanks for letting me know, hang in there. There's been a couple of babies with down syndrome placed in the agency. It's always hard to find homes for them. Your profile has been viewed once. And that was kind of it. So she wasn't offering these babies with down syndrome to us because she knew on our paperwork, we had said, no, absolutely. No, we're not going to adopt a child with down syndrome or heart defects or any kind of a disability. And, um, and so I, I just closed my laptop and my heart was just tugged towards this idea of babies with down syndrome. And that led us down this couple of month discussion and process of, do we what do we do now? Now that we have this information about this baby, um, what do we do? Do we pursue it? Do we not? And it was just this roller up and down roller coaster. Um, and with every lurch and pull and dip, we found ourselves closer and closer to this baby who we ultimately ended up saying yes to. We did adopt her. Hmm. You were going through something that's kind of, you know, in some ways similar to what 
you know, a newly pregnant mom is going to go through when she does genetic testing and mm-hmm. she gets some sort of test result that indicates that there might be a problem or there definitely is, you know, a variation of some sort. Mm-hmm. And then they have to make this decision as to what to do with that information. And you were, you were going through a similar process. Right. Yeah, yeah. we were. It was just a lot more condensed um, and an easier no, if you really think about it, because um, the baby was already born. And if we say no, someone else eventually will say yes. It's not like an yeah. ultimate no. Yeah. It was hypothetical for you guys. Right. Still, whereas, yeah, definitely. Yeah. But, but we just kept, what we kept coming back to over and over again was, um, yes, there's this baby with a list of all these things, but this baby is first a baby and we want a baby. And we just couldn't, um, yeah. we couldn't get away from yeah. that reality and that we were worried about all these unknowns, but you can't be afraid of the unknown or you can't let the fear of the unknown take over your decision-making. And so we said yes. And then everything became known. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to know more about meeting Mason. (laughs) Tell me what that was like. Yes. Um, We actually met her at the hospital and we weren't supposed to meet her. So when we had said we wanted to learn more about her, we had found out that along with having Down syndrome, she had a congenital heart defect that was very severe and a lung condition that was incredibly severe and rare. And the heart defect could be dealt with, but the lungs maybe not. And so we just were, um, we had done Google searches on all these medical issues, which is always a big mistake to Google search medical (laughs) issues. And we end up talking to our social worker she said hey why don't you meet with the doctor and like get he'll answer your questions and you can have a better understanding moving forward and so we end up at the hospital and and what was supposed to happen is she was the baby our daughter was supposed to have an appointment and then go and then we would have a follow-up with the doctor just knowing and our social worker had set it up that way knowing that once you see an actual human baby it kind of changes um the direction you're headed because there's like a real live human there that it's no longer mm-hmm. this abstract idea. And we get there and our social worker meets us in the parking lot. She says, Hey, they're, um, they haven't even started for the appointment. It's going to be a while. You can either come in and meet her or you can come back in a couple hours. Let me know. And my husband and I are like, let's go in, let's meet her. And I felt that we were able to really distance ourselves from we're just seeing a baby. We're not meeting our child, you know, like we created that distinction and then we go in and there she is. And her foster mother is so lovely. And this tiny baby, like very floppy babies with down syndrome have very low muscle tones. She's like super floppy Mm -hmm. and, um, tons of hair, like a, an alarming amount of hair for, she was two (laughs) months old (laughs) and, and there she is and she's adorable and lovely. And so I held her, Um, And we went through the whole doctor's appointment with her. And then when it was our turn to meet with a doctor alone, the foster mom took her away. And I remember thinking, I might never see this baby again. And that's okay. Like, it wasn't like, oh, that's my child. Hmm. Um, I didn't take any pictures. I was really trying to protect my heart. I feel like my head was really protecting my heart. And I didn't take any pictures. And I tried to very, very much distance myself. So that was our first meeting with her. Like the day I met my daughter, I didn't realize I was meeting my daughter. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then um, we ended up saying yes to her. And a month later, 
or I'm sorry, in, in just the next week, we started setting up uh, slow transition, they call it. So she'd been with the foster parent for so long that they had us visit, do visits for a few days and then before we would bring her home so she could get to know us. Mm-hmm. Um, so then that first time we went, like knocked on the foster parents home and walk in and that, that's my daughter. That was a really special, mm. a really special moment. Mm. You remember it. You remember it was your, that's my daughter moment. Oh, definitely. And we spent, we probably spent four hours with them just holding her and feeding her. I mean, she's, in, mm. she's two months old. She's very little. And so I just will never forget like when she fell asleep on my chest and sitting there with this infant on my chest and feeling her heartbeat and her weight and her warmth. Mm. And I had just been dreaming of that moment for so long. Mm. Um, so then it was kind of weird to, at the end of those visits to be like, okay, here's this baby. Mm. And then we'd have to leave <laughs> and then come back yeah. for a few days. And then we finally got to like bring her home and it was done and official and it was beautiful. And it was the same for Josh. Yeah, it really was just all these sweet moments of, um, just holding it, little things that you just don't even, even realize, like holding your baby, your baby falling asleep on your chest, a bottle, mm-hmm. like getting them dressed in their jammies, all these sweet little, little things that for so many years we had been dreaming of doing. And so they felt really, really special and magical. So the rest of Mason's story, people can read in the book, but tell me a little bit about you know, your next adoptions. You adopted another daughter and then another son with Down syndrome. Yeah. So, um, we had started with Mason. Like I said, we, we just didn't think we wanted, um, so much of what she was on paper. And then she enters our life and it was so sweet. And we recognized that she was absolutely the best yes we could have ever made. And we felt very open in our next adoption, just recognizing that we don't know the child that's best for us. Um, Mm -hmm. and we're just going to step towards the child that we're given. And so we were very open. We went the county here in California, which county adoptions are free. So that's also helpful. Um, but a lot riskier because you're dealing with usually drug exposure and utero at best. And then a lot of other issues, there can be lots of trauma, um, but we were ready for it. And we get a phone call, um, in 2011 about a little girl, um, who birth mother is Guatemalan and she's no drug exposure in utero, no special needs, no health issues. Would we like to adopt her? And we were just like, ah, I mean, it was amazing. We were so excited. Um, Mm -hmm. and a couple weeks later she came home and we named her truly star and Mm -hmm. she birth father's unknown, but we did DNA tests. So she's half African-American, half Guatemalan. And so then Mm -hmm. we're, um, I'm learning to parent all over again. So people who have multiple kids, you think, I thought like, I got this, like I'm a great mom. And then I have another yeah. truly in just my life. I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing as a parent. <laughs> this yeah. is so hard. She was just so different than Macy. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that was a sweet time with her and it's been hard. She's, she's definitely, um, stretched me more than I wanted to be stretched, but as much as I've needed to be stretched, <laughs> And so mm-hmm. there's that, like, a little bit, it's a little uncomfortable and painful, the stretching process. Um, and she's just very feisty and mm-hmm. strong-willed. And all of the characteristics that are going to serve her so well as an adult. But she's a child. Yeah. And so <laughs> so figuring, <laughs> you know, navigating that as a parent, as many parents know, who have a strong-willed child. Yeah. Um, yep, yeah. yep. Got one of those. Got one of those. Yeah. 
Yes, we love and it's, them. And it's good to, yeah, it's good to remind yourself that later in life, we're going to call that leadership. That's right. That's right. <laughs> right now, we're calling it tantrum. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so then we end up a couple years later, knowing that we wanted to grow our family um, and started with the county again, hoping it'd be a year from the time we started the process. Because at that time, I had a five-year-old with Down syndrome and a two-year-old with a lot of energy and a very strong will. And I mm-hmm. felt at my maximum capacity as a mother. Um, but in my, just whatever, however I was thinking, I thought, well, a year from now, I will have a better grasp on my children and my life. <laughs> so let's start the process now. And in a year, we'll have another child. And then after we went that day and started the paperwork. And then the next day, got a phone call from a friend who had heard from a mother who was pregnant, um, seven months pregnant, and found out her baby in utero had Down mm-hmm. syndrome and a congenital heart defect. And she mm-hmm. was a single mom and um, had just weighed all her options and really felt like an adoption plan would be in his best interest and the baby's best interest. So mm-hmm. I found myself that day Facebook messaging a birth mother um, and within a week saying yes to this baby. And then two months later, he was born. And there we were. (laughs) Yeah. So you thought you were at maximum capacity, but maybe not. Right. (laughs) It's always amazing to me as a parent how we, our capacity can stretch. And Mm -hmm. it did. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It is amazing. You know, and, and. Thank God that that happens because, yes. you know, no matter what your children are facing or whatever your life is like, every single parent knows this feeling of like, I am at my wits end. Yes. Oh, wait, there's more. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then you find out, <laughs> oh, no, there's more to end to my wit. Right. You know, I can do this. Yeah. yeah. Well, some parents don't. Yeah. Some parents yeah. lose their minds and, and lose, you know, their capabilities of it. But most of us grow. Most of us do. Yes, definitely. And we did. And it was so sweet. I mean, we had not had a newborn. Our our kids, our girls came home as babies, but we had a three month old with Mason was three months old and truly was almost six months old. And there's a big difference from a two day old baby and a three month old baby. Um, And it was so sweet. It was so sweet. It was Mm -hmm. such a gift and a blessing to get to have a newborn baby. And he was an angel and such a sweet little guy. It was really, really awesome. Yeah. So lucky. Yeah. 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 Well, your day is, you know, it's very similar to any mother, sure. especially if you're a mother of many, of many. You know, you're getting kids up and off to school and taking care of a toddler and getting work done during nap time and chores with kids in tow. And then there's the after school hustle and dinner and homework and bedtime. I mean, does that sound like your life? Yes, that all is very familiar. <laughs> Yeah. But then you add having two children with Down syndrome and special needs and it adds entirely other dimensions. Yeah. Tell me tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, there's the real like hands on practical where my kids with Down syndrome are in therapies. And so mm-hmm. um when Mason came home as an infant we had her in um in, like an early start, the infant stem, occupational therapy and physical therapy. And so there were some weeks when we had up to six hours a week of <clears throat> therapies, therapists coming to the house usually. Um, mm-hmm. And then as they get older, there's l- the schools take over therapy once they go to school. But 
we've always, we are always having some kind of an extra. So some kind of a therapy or Mason's in lots of tutoring classes. Um, once we started school, school's just very different for kids who have different abilities Mm -hmm. and very different for my kid. And it's just a lot harder. And so it's incredibly time consuming to make sure that they're getting the education they deserve, um, and that they need. And so I spent, I spend lots of hours going to, um, I'm a part of an organization that equips parents for an inclusive, giving the children an inclusive education and an inclusive life. Um, so I spend lots of hours there learning myself and then applying that to my children's lives. Um, yeah. And every place we, you're an advocate, sorry. You're an advocate. Yes. Oh, huge. I mean, I, I am advocate capital A for my kids. And, um, and also that pours over into the Down syndrome community as a whole, being an advocate for them. And for other kids. Yeah. Yeah. And for other kids. Oh, absolutely. And then having a, yeah. And having a daughter who's a different race than us has also, um, required us to be very intentional and to, um, make sacrifices and do things with our lives that we maybe wouldn't do otherwise. So it's been, I mean, with parent, you know, with motherhood, it's like, you just are going to do everything you possibly can for your kids. And it's really hard and it's really wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've, I've had the experience, um, when I was a labor and delivery nurse, um, of being the bedside nurse when a baby was born that the parents did not expect Mm. to be having a, Mm -hmm. a child with a disability. And I remember one, one family had a baby, um, born with Down syndrome, and they didn't know mm-hmm. that this was what they were their daughter was going to be facing. It was a surprise to them, and you know they went through a lot of grieving, um, shock, you know, anger, all of these, all of these really normal emotions, but they came to the point really remarkably quickly. Mm-hmm where they realized that, okay, this is what we get. Mm. You know, this is where, who we're going to raise. This is our daughter. And I think that, I think that that is a really exemplar moment that if every parent could have that moment of complete acceptance of mm. who their child is mm-hmm. early on, mm-hmm. that it would help them. Yeah. It would help them along the way. Yeah. Because all of our kids are going to deal with some every single one of Mm -hmm. them is going to have something some you know something that is not the same as other children Mm -hmm. or they're going to have to fight their own battle and learn their own lessons and if we knew going in that okay this is who they are this is who we're going to raise we're going to raise the child in front of us not the one we had in our imagination it would be an easier job for everybody yeah you know yeah I think that's so wise I say I agree with that hundred percent. And I find myself having yeah. to, um, yeah. to look at that over and over again. Like even the other day, my daughter, we're, we're working on some stuff with school, trying to get her what she needs to be supported while in school. And then they do these assessments and it's like, she's so much lower academically than all her peers. And then it, I get like in my head, like, well, we have to do this, this, this. And I have to get myself mm-hmm. back to that acceptance, you know, like, no, She's amazing exactly how she is. Let's accept that. And obviously we're always for all of our kids, we're working for them to be their best version of themselves. Right. Um, but the acceptance and then the grace, that's the piece I add for all moms. Like you, there are going to be moments where 
we fail in the acceptance piece, you know, where we fail all the time and we just have to have so much yeah. grace for ourselves. Yeah. If acceptance doesn't work, grab another piece. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> go for humor, go for tolerance, yes. go for grace, go for whatever. Grab a cookie, yeah, seriously. do what you got to do. Cup of coffee, <laughs> give it a day, sleep on it. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's so true. Yeah, yeah. Well, you have some, I want to pull some quotes from your introduction that I just think are really great. Um, You wrote, what I did not know then is that ease and normalcy and niceness are not as important to Jesus as obedience, perseverance, and sacrifice. I didn't know then that easy and normal and nice would do little to build my character or make me a better and more complete human being. And I think that everybody... I mean, there's something in that statement mm. for every parent, mm. you know, yeah. it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be normal. It's not going to be nice all the time. And I don't care if you deliver the most genetically gifted <laughs> child on the planet. It's, it, it ain't going to be easy and normal. It's so true. And I, and for whatever reason, I feel like people make that the goal. And so then you're just setting yourself up for failure, you know, <laughs> or like setting yourself up for heartache. Yeah. yeah. If that's your yeah, goal. Totally. Yeah. You also wrote that today I can see I was created for profound experiences far beyond the reach of simple expectation. Wow, girl. (laughs) (laughs) How often do you let that roll through your mind? Oh, probably not often enough. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I, I mean, to be real honest, it's as a parent, you know, you get just caught up in the mundane Um, but it's a good, it's a good reminder to come back to for sure. I think you should put that on a coffee cup. I think I should put that on a coffee cup. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Put it on, put it on t-shirt and sell it. And you've got the kids college education. Let's do it. It's a good one. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, Heather, what else do you want listeners to know about your life, your book, your work in the world? Yeah. Um, I just want people, I think right now our, one of our big pushes is to just shift the narrative for Down syndrome. And I just want people to know how amazing people with Down syndrome are if they don't have someone in close mm-hmm. proximity with Down syndrome. Because if you do, then you already know this. Um, there's no doubt. Yeah. Um, and just for any kind of a new parent, I, my heart really just um, reaches to new parents who are dealing with the diagnosis that they weren't expecting. And um you, you know, like that idea of you've got it, the acceptance is so important. So give yourself the grace to sit in where you need to sit to feel what you need to feel, but then recognize that there's another side to it and hold on to the hope of that. You'll get there and having a down syndrome diagnosis. Um, and I, I'm careful saying this because I don't want to, um, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? I don't want to like disregard how people are feeling who have a new diagnosis, but it really is such a gift. It is, it will be the gift of your life, that downstream diagnosis. Um, it will be the gift of your life. And I mean that wholeheartedly. It has been for mine and it doesn't mean it's going to be easy or normal or nice, (laughs) but it will be the gift of your life. And so I just want to encourage people who are facing that diagnosis and then encourage people who don't have anyone in their life with down syndrome to find out how to be in those places to make sure your kids are Um, if you have children, make sure you're raising your children around people who have different abilities, um, Mm -hmm. what they will gain from living a life that is inclusive of people who are different than them. It will make them Mm -hmm. such a better human being and make this world a better place. So I think that's, I think, 
I think that's a gift that we're giving this um, this generation, and it, it's one that the generation that my kids are in, you know, mm-hmm. which ranges from late teens to late twenties, is this gift of um, more open acceptance of their peers, mm-hmm. regardless of what their abilities and disabilities are, and that's great. Yeah. That's great. I know that um, in my family, I never met this uncle. He died in childhood, um, but my grandmother had a son who, you know, at that time, they called children born with Down syndrome mongoloid. Right. Mm-hmm. Because of, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So this was, we're talking about the early 1900s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and um, this boy died super young, like around eight years old. And my grandmother never talked about him after that. He was just sort of this mythical character in our, in our families mm. that when someone in our family would become pregnant, then there was this great concern. Oh, well, make sure that, you know, this doesn't happen to you, as if anybody has any control mm-hmm, over right. that. But it definitely placed a shadow on um, pregnancies in our families. Mm. And I think that, and certainly this was in a time before people had choices with genetic testing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that one of the real gifts of the era that we're in now, and specifically one of the services that your story and your family is providing is taking that shadow off, mm. you know? Mm. It's beautiful. It's, we're in a time in the world where it's okay for people to be who they are. Mm-hmm. You know, we're okay. We're fine. Mm-hmm. We can be ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, you know, certainly we're not living in we're not living in nirvana yet, but I think that we're moving in the right direction, hopefully. Yeah. And I, th- I think you are providing a service in that, oh in that area. Thank you so much for saying that. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, yeah, we definitely are moving in the right direction. I agree with that. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just have a couple more questions sure. for you. How would you fill in the blank? Nobody ever told me that. Oh, my gosh. Fill in the blank. Nobody. It's hard. Yeah. Nobody ever told me that. (laughs) Nobody ever told me that. Oh, are we talking like specifically motherhood? (laughs) Um, Yeah. Nobody ever told me that it would require. It's a hard one. Yeah. No one ever told me that it would require so much of me. Yeah. Being a mom. Yeah. Yeah. So then my last question for you is this. Where are you in your life as a mom? As a mom right now in my life, I, I would say I'm like smack dab in the middle, which maybe I always will be, but I feel with my children's ages, um, and then their abilities, my husband, and I joke so much. Everyone mm-hmm. is so helpless. Like just mm-hmm. do, just put your shoes on, right? Just come on kids. Um, so they, I, all three of my kids require all of me, um, and so I, yeah, I'm just smack dab in it. Every spec. Yeah, I'm smack dab in it as a mom. And it is all consuming. And and I honestly, I really like it that yeah. way. Um, yeah. Of course, there's things that I wish my kids could do more independently. But I like being needed so much by them, whether that's healthy or not. <laughs> and then wanting, yeah. you wanting are- to be needed, you know, and being like the, their person. I am their person um, as a mom. Yeah. And I really am enjoying yeah. this, this season in this phase. Cause I know it's not always going to be that way. Um, 
I'm assuming. <laughs> uh, well, you know, it won't be, you know, full volume, full blast mothering like you're going through now. But, you know, if you develop a relationship with your children where you're meeting their needs, mm-hmm. you're going to be their mo- you're going to be their mom for life, at least as far as I can yeah. tell. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's good yeah. to know. I, I hear that. And I, I'm also, just to add to that too, thinking about it more, I'm also in a season of motherhood where I am um, asking for more help than I've ever asked for and not seeing that as a negative. So as a stay-at-home mom, I've always mm-hmm. thought, like, I'm home. I should do this. And recognizing mm-hmm. that, yes, I probably could, but for my sanity, mm-hmm. um, for my overall health, I'm going to also ask these people to step in as needed. And that's been really yeah. helpful in this season for me to recognize that not only do I not have to do it all, um, and but it doesn't make me less of a mom. Like I'm still a, killing it as a mom, even though somebody comes and watches the kids twice a week, you know, or like someone comes and cleans my house twice a month or whatever it is that I felt I had to hold on to. I've let those things go. Yeah. And it's made me a better mom. Yeah. It's made me a much better mom. Thank God, yeah. right? That's an important moment to realize, too, that you don't have to be everything to everybody at all times. You have to be yourself. You have to be you. Yes. And asking for help is so important. Well, Heather, this has been a real, real pleasure to talk to you. I've really enjoyed looking at your book and following your family on Instagram. And I really appreciate your talking to us. Well, thank you. This has been lovely. Thank you for having me. Mama said there'll be days like this. There'll be days like this. Mama said. Today's guest was Heather Avis, author of The Lucky Few, and you can learn more about Heather at heatheravis.com. You can learn more about Jenny Joseph's work in Florida at commonsensechildbirth.org. Not to be confused with Common Sense Pregnancy, my book, which I wrote and you can pick up over on my website, jeanfaulkner.com or amazon.com or at your local bookstore, everywhere books are sold. You can learn more about me at jeanfaulkner.com. Tweet me at jeanfaulkner. Email me jean at jeanfaulkner. Go buy the book. And if you're so inclined or know somebody who wants to, please sponsor the podcast. Email me if you're interested. Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting is produced by Alex Ward at Sounds Like Pictures Studios. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll talk again next week. Bye-bye. Someone